curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Part of the joy I take in producing this program are episodes like the one I'm going to share with you today. For what is now a three-year streak, PPAI President and CEO Paul Bellantone joins me for what amounts to a year-end wrap-up show, where together Paul and I look back at the year that was and consider what our collective futures might hold. This year's edition takes on special meaning as Paul recently announced he was stepping down from his role after serving the association for more than 20 years, with the last 10 being as its leader. In that role, Paul interacted with a board of directors comprised of leaders from businesses in the industry, so he's had a good fortune to be counseled by leaders of organizations with revenues totaling in the billions of dollars, and together they led the association on a run of historical prosperity. I'm incredibly grateful to Paul for his willingness to talk about the circumstances that fueled his decision, his openness in discussing the effect the pandemic has had on his life, both personally and professionally, and his vulnerability to reveal more about Paul the man and a little less Paul the PPAI representative. He's always been a good friend to me and many others in the industry. It was a very engaging conversation and maybe there's a surprise or three thrown in there for good measure. Give it a listen. There's a change ahead of you ahead for you in the future we'll get to that part but let's not lose sight of the fact that we've used this opportunity between you and i every year we have to sort of and i've enjoyed that knowing that before we get to the next thing holy cow batman what a year what a year how do you how do you even um begin to define it what's the postmortem on 2020 going to look like and and how are we going to um decide the winners and the losers and when will that ultimately get sorted out i've i've contended all along roger that the um we should not we should position covid in this pandemic not as a as part of our stories like you we we don't get to decide whether or not there's a pandemic but we do get to decide how it fits within the story that we are. Is it our last chapter? Is it a middle chapter? Is it a blip? Is it, is it something that you, um, you make a giant pivot from, like the loss of a parent or loss of a child or the birth of a child or you know some significant portion in our life? Where, what are you going to do at that moment? Because it will be a moment, ultimately, right? Um, it, it, whether it's a year or two years, it's going to be a moment, but it's really, what do you do at the moment? Do you let it define you? How do you let it define you? How do you, how do you let it be part of your story? Yeah. And I I look forward to that, but I mean, you look at any major incident in our country and then you think about the movies that get written about it and the books that get written about it and how it affected people who's lost businesses and who started businesses because they wanted to do something different. 
you know, your story will be, I, I picked a really good year to start up a new business you know, <laughs> in the middle of it. But look what I did with it. You know, who knew? Like, may, you may have always questioned whether or not people were going to pay attention to the social good part of things only because the economy was going up. But what a way to develop a foundation that you have now because you're, you're building a business at a time when things are difficult. Imagine what it's going to look like when things start moving up and there's more money in the marketplace to be had to invest in these things. So, so true. And we were fortunate that we did start in 19, not 20, but right. nothing like these seismic changes oh. in consumer sentiment, in willingness to spend money, in comfortability with the status quo you know, all of that's really in a lot of instances. Now, granted, there's some vertical market sort of filters that you have to apply to this statement, but largely sure. speaking, people are more interested in what happens with their dollar when they spend it now because they're worried about actually spending the dollar. So if right. you, you can give them justification right. that the dollar they spend with me can be defended against any investigation, internal or external, I think does give me an advantage, it does. And uh, the business results have been a reflection of that. If the last four months have been, um, the last six weeks, we've done 25% of what we had done in the 11 months prior to that. So I know that there's changes afoot in what's going on. And I think you know the reaction that we're getting is a reflection of that change. But that's not the only change. I think there's so many subtle, you know, everyone wants to look for what's the big changes. And, you know, I think having a backdrop behind me and having my desk be more like a set than an actual office these days is kind of one of the reflections of what the new reality is. But yeah. that's a dramatic change. Some of the more subtle changes are in that that person has to have some justification for an expenditure at this moment, more so than I think going all the way back to 08. I think what you've done, and look, for you, it could be around the goodness and, and the, the compliance and the, and the give back side of things. And, you know, we, there are so many companies here in our industry that have, that have adopted their business model to reflect something bigger than the fact that they sell stuff with logos on it. You've just told today's story. You know, you've, you've put content your value that you're bringing to the table is a, a meaningful story that's resounding with people now. Same story that was being told in 2008, but people are paying attention to it a little bit more. You've developed, you've, you've fleshed out the bones of that story into a business model. You've, you've gained momentum around the story and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not discounting what it is, but we've had a number of stories across this industry for generations and you're telling a story right now that that's resounding with people. Look, I'll give you a, a, an association analogy to this. We have two programs that we run. One of them is called product responsibility summit. One of them is called technology summit. And we create those things with the hope that one day they will both go out of business that you be, that you hope that like we no longer need a product responsibility summit because it's just baked into what we do every single day. Same thing with technology. Like we hope that at some point there's a baseline for technology that just orders, offers a seamlessness that we've been hoping for for a long time. I, you know, I think your opportunity has a window, right? It, at some point, people are going to say, well, I don't need to search for things that are done the right way in the it's just part of our DNA, right? We, we have four or five strategic plan goals every single year, um, every strategic plan. One of them is one that goes away. We pick what attribute, what thing do we want to bake into our culture? And then on this last one, it was strategic foresight. We want to use strategic foresight in everything we do. And five years later, we think it's baked into the culture. You move on prior to that. It was called Partner for Power. 
And that's the one where we went out and created a lot of relationships with regional associations and other associations. Now it's baked into our DNA. You move on. I, I think you have a window, but I think it's a, it's a window you should be telling a story on. You should be bragging on, you know, you're, you're not first to market, but you're first to make some noise around it. And it's good noise, which is why I support it. And so many of your colleagues do. Well, and what a beautiful world that would be if we've pushed it that far that it's no longer something that we even have to promote. It's just a part of the supply chain inherently. That would be awesome. Right. Would love that to see that be the case. Uh, there's your mission. Make it so that people don't have to choose. That would be so damn cool. And that that really is a great sort of um aspirational objective for what we're trying to accomplish. And that's not a social good promotions aspirational objective. That's more of a promo cares kind of industry. Like let's not make it so that we weigh one supplier versus another based on this criteria. Let's just make it so that it just is a thing and we don't have to worry about it. Promo cares is the vision, you know, social good promotions is a strategy. Right. When you really kind of look at the, Umbrella. We certainly didn't want to bring Paul Bellantone to talk about social good promotions. So we'll hmm. we'll, we'll we'll temper our uh, enthusiasm for what we're doing because there's a whole lot of people out there that are wondering if it's not purpose, if it's not PPE, if it's my God, I just want it to go back to the way it was. What are we doing for those people? Why do we want it to go back to the way it was? Eh, was, was January and February so freaking perfect? that we're going to beg for January and February of 2020 back. People's paychecks may have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That they're, they're looking for some normalcy. They're looking for some familiarity, Yeah. but let's not, let's not take all of it. You know, they'll always be, no matter what the situation, you know, as much as life's not a zero sum game at any moment, there are people who are struggling and people who aren't, but I, I would tell you that the, there wouldn't have been a need for social good promotions and promo cares in January and February if everything was so perfect, what was it? So yeah. let's just be really selective about the things that we choose to bring forward with us. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, like reflecting back. Um, you know, a good economy in, in, a, in a growing marketplace hides a lot of um, inefficiencies and inequalities and you know, these, the, the, the riots that we had, the Black Lives Matter, the injustices, the inequalities, they existed before COVID. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm not so willing to just blindly say, let's get a vaccine and hope for normal. What a waste of a pandemic. Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have this 100-year opportunity to be better. Um, to really reevaluate what we're doing. And, um, you know, you, I mean, there's, there's 73 million people or something that would have preferred for everything to stay exactly the same. And some number larger than that, that would like something to be different. Right. And maybe if there wasn't a pandemic, that outcome would have been different. Right. But somebody chose to use the pandemic as a point to say, you know what? Maybe something should be different. And I think that trickles down to everything we're doing. This is a good topic. So I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, what would I want to save from the past? And what do I want to embrace from what's occurred? Um, I think what I want to save from the past is being able to be in your physical presence in a way that isn't dangerous to the two of us. Okay, so we can put that in that column. Okay, so let's think about it. Can we redefine what touches so that it doesn't include, you know, the crap that's been going on for a hundred years with the inappropriate side of it and the me too's. Can we do that? You know, so let's, let's say, yeah, we're going to be respectfully and, and purposefully and thoughtfully bring back touch in ways that is not offensive and, you know, makes people feel good about Yep. 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 That would be, that would be a uh, culturally appropriate reintroduction of physical. Right. Yeah. But you know what? I bet you, if we come up with a list of 10 things, we could talk about the negative part of it that we shouldn't be dragging along with us. Yeah. I'd love to have a growing economy, but not at the backs, not on the backs of people who can't make their, their, um, 
their rent and their paychecks and, and the inequality in, in our economies. So, yeah, we want, we want January, February back. We just want it back kinder. Kinder. We want a <laughs> so, kinder January. So what, what don't we want back? I'm going to oversimplify. That's a great question because I could have given you a list of things that easy wins. Okay. How so? Um, I, th- I think we re- need, need to reevaluate what success looks like. I think the easy wins, like we, are, we're, we spend so much time looking for the low-hanging fruit that I don't even know that we're, we're paying attention to the tree anymore, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what did I say that? The person who plants a seed, like, never gets the, the, the benefit, fruit, the outcome. The fruit from it, right? Like, but if everybody's planting seeds all along, then you continually have fruit for everybody. I, I don't know that we've been planting enough seeds, you know? I don't know that we've earned everything that we've benefit, benefited from. So I, I would just blanket that. The same way we can look at, let's bring this back, but here are the things that we, we shouldn't bring back. I would say, let's um, reevaluate where we are and what we really need. I, you know, it seems like this is the year of the meme, right? And the, and the, and the, one, one of them said, like, this isn't the year to wish for everything you want. It's the year to appreciate everything you have. You know, so forget about the easy wins coming. Oh, yeah, I wanted this. I wanted this. It's like, geez, let's take stock. You know, right. people are people are struggling. Yeah. You know, like in in meaningful ways. You have kids. You know, I mean, and they're going through. I have kids. I have a twenty eight and a seventeen tomorrow. Ben will be seventeen years old. He's grown wow. up. Wow. In this industry, with with me all. Um, along here, and you guys have known him every step of the way through social media, and I've brought him to events. Good Lord, he's struggling. This is a 17-year-old kid in the middle of his first pandemic. What do you mean I can't do this? And I can't do that. I just want to skateboard with my friends, you know? Right. What, do you, what do you mean my school? I can only walk this way down the hall, and I have to wear a mask, and huh. only a third of us here because some of us are home, and every day you get a note that says somebody has this disease, and then we have to do this stuff. Could you do that at 17? No, not even oh. close. And yeah, and by the way, I'm going to throw this magic thing in your hand that lets you access everything in the whole wide world at any moment, but don't let that distract you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just, so it's, just pay pay attention, son. Yeah, pay attention to this over here. Pay attention to this because I know everything. Yeah, pay no attention to the uh, people in that black box in your hand. Well, and you know, for us as parents, this this is a great vein because. Something I don't want back is, and I don't know how, how properly to articulate this, but none of us, if you would have said, hey, um, we're going to completely stop the world and we want you to be okay with that for your children. Like none of us would have signed up for that. Oh. But at the same time, what I think this will do for those kids is you and I have been faced with challenges that when we're trying to empathize with our children about the struggles that they have, there's, there's no context for the child because in their minds, this is like, I can't relate dad because I'm a kid and you're an adult and you've been some, through some stuff and I haven't. Well, now we're on equal footing. Yeah. We have a shared experience for sure. And our ability to help guides, not the right word. Um, coach is not the right word. It's to, to, to know, to have them know that we're here while they're walking that road with this problem that they're faced with. For me, I feel like I want my children to feel the confidence to say, this is not your battle to face alone. And I think that the beauty of that is that whether that's your child, your neighbor, somebody at your church, you know, a member of your community, we can do that for each other, regardless of whether we're blood or not. You know, I, I've been saying a lot, dating back to the first presentations that I was giving when the shelter in place orders started, was to, to keep humanity at the front of your consideration in this process. Because if you can't consider the other human that you're interacting with and all of the stuff that they're probably going through right now, the likelihood of you being able to accomplish whatever it is you're trying to do between you and that person is going to be impacted in a very significant kind of way. It, I, I do like that concept that we're doing this together with the kids. Like this isn't just mine. It's not yours. I didn't, it's not my fault. It's not, 
I think as business leaders, we've had to adapt that a little bit. Like, you know, you, you want to blame yourself for this, but really, how do you? And, and that's been one of the saving graces. It's allowed my kids to see me vulnerable. Yeah, there you go. In a way that they hadn't before. Because I always, I, I might not have had the right answer, but I always had an answer. And my kids realized that, like, I know no more than anybody else in this one. Like, let's learn it together. But I've, I've got no, like, kids, when this turns into a recession, I got you back because I've done a recession before. The, re- the pandemic on the recession, it's my first one. I, I think they're getting to see that. And I think, I hope that they're appreciating me in a different way for saying like, you know, there's a level of humility that comes with this. You know, yeah. it's like the other thing, and it was, it was Ann Stone who told me this, and obviously she got it from someplace else. Like, we are all grieving. That is a fact. Like, we are grieving the lives that we've had. We're grieving the moments, the way we have to live today. And we're grieving the fact that we, we're having a hard time seeing something different. Almost when somebody passes... The reality of grief is you will not, you will not jump one of those steps. You will not miss one of those steps. You will have anger. You will have fear. You will have sadness. You will have remorse. You will have that longing. The, the challenge that I think we're having as an industry and a society is we're all on a different step on a different day. And, you know, today I'm sad, but I can't let that end. I'm having a hard time not letting it affect that the you know the people who work here and my kids. And that day they're sad. And instead of them just being some moody teenager, it's this he's going through some grieving. He's grieving not being able to see his friends. He's grieving that his um my my mom, his grandmother passed in January, and he's not been able to be with his cousins since then and has not had a weekend in New York with my dad since a funeral that's a lot to throw on a 17 yeah. you know in a pandemic at 17 you know with the magic distraction box that they carry with them at every moment that allows them to avoid dealing with those that. feelings yeah totally so totally. and this is the ptsd that we get from this thing may be as difficult as the thing itself for you, for many people that we know, this upset of the apple cart is actually going to represent a, and whether it was because of COVID or not, people are going to do different things than they've done up until this point, present yeah. included. So, <laughs> so I wanted, you, you bring up this perfect point of, as we sit here and sort of evaluate. No, I'm going to derail you for a moment. because no, I'm going to give you an analogy that I've been using. And I got it from Jonathan Isaacson. Nice. And I'll tell you how it fits in. So Jonathan was telling me, it's like being in a tunnel. You know there's an end, but you don't know how long the tunnel is. Right. And that's the part, like, is this tunnel going to go on for another mile? And, and then on the other side, we don't exactly know what it looks like. We're going to tunnel someplace else. We're in this tube and we're... we're we're driving and I tried to, and, and it's funny, I'll bring it back to Ben. I, I did a, a kind of a boys weekend away with him and we were talking and, and we're, I'm having this conversation with him and I gave him Jonathan and Jonathan's analogy. And Ben said, that's why I like bridges and not tunnels. Oh, <laughs> I explained that to me. Well, I could see, I don't know how long it's going to be. And I just know like he, to him, 17, this is, you know, if this thing goes a year, what is that? Like 7% of his life? Right. You're old like us. It's two. Right. You know? <laughs> it's, it's 2% of our lives. Yeah. He's, he's, he'll have spent, you know, maybe by the time this thing's over, 10% of his life in a pandemic. Whether you're on a bridge, you're in a tunnel, we're in a hallway, all of these things, you faced an uh, inflection point in all of this in trying to make this decision to try to consider what would be next for yourself. So... I want to unpack this a bit because 20 years, 20 plus years of any job is an eternity. And when you decide that it's time for the next thing, you sort of disconnect yourself from 
I am, was, will be considered the former president of an organization of a certain size with a certain number of employees for a certain period of time. Yeah. Not that per- you won't be that person come March. You'll be Paul Bellantone, an employee in uh, waiting for his next thing. So how, how are you approaching this whole process? It, it, it's a wonderful career. It has been absolutely fabulous and i think that we have some things that if i you know if i had to do the lists and i'm a list guy like these are the things that i was able to accomplish there is there is pride in those things but i was paid to do those things like there was a board behind me and there was 80 other people and we got really cool things done and i think that we um we moved the needle I am, this isn't my organization. I'm a pass-through. Been presidents before me, there'll be presidents after me. And I think on, on, on my watch, I think we did some cool things. The things that I'm taking with me from this are the smaller things. It's, it's every day I'm getting notes from members. Some of them I've known, some of them I barely knew. I ran into them in a hallway someplace or they, they said that I said something kind or I, you know, I write a note every day. Sometimes I'll just pick a note out of a member from a member's, our, our database. And just, thank you for being a member. We appreciate it. You're supporting us in ways you have no idea. And somebody will say, you sent me a card in 2015 that I keep on my desk, you know, that people don't do. Those are the things that I take personally. Those little things that you, you, didn't, you as a member didn't necessarily pay me to do but they're the things that made me me within the role. So I take that as, um, and I had forgotten about them. You know, I had forgotten about some of the things. I, f- I forgot about the person that I walked across the convention center and took them to package mine. I forgot that. But they reminded me. Those are the things that have been really important. Yeah, I like, I, I like get in touch campaigns and work week and, and all those things. But somebody else would have done those. Sure. I don't know that somebody else would have done that. So there's that part of it that's, that's really important to me. And, that, and that's been the part when I go home and I'm telling the kids, you know, how the day was, I, I, I tell them about the cards. They don't care about work week. Sure. They just don't. But it, it was time. Look, I'm in the tunnel, but I have a full tank of gas and you know, the bugs are wiped off the windshield. And I think I'm ready for however long the tunnel may be. It's going to sound so trivial or, or so trite. I don't, I don't know which one. But I have a love for this association that actually drove me to say now is not, it's time for another thing. Look, let's say I have five years left in a career, seven years, or 58 years. I'll be 58 in January. Let's say I want to work till 65. Uh, the ten, the, I think that there's a... Um, a human, human nature tells me if there was no pandemic, it would be like, these are going to be the seven best freaking years of my <laughs> life because I've just set up, you know, the train is moving forward and I, it could be easy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that this industry needs easy right now. I think it needs a fresh set of eyes to look at the same landscape and see different opportunities. What do we farm? What do we, what do we plant? What seeds are we planting? The, the, the seeds that I planted are going to show up 10, 15 years from now, but what are the ones that need to be there 30 years from now? And I don't know that that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's just, I may want to do it for someone else. Mm-hmm. I'll have a fresh set of eyes to the next set of things that I want to do. But I don't know that, look, I, I know I'm pretty good at what I do. I don't know that I'm good enough to look at the same field and decide what crops need to be planted for this industry going forward. That's really what it came down to. And, you know, the cynic will say, oh, Paul loves it so much. He's willing to walk away from it. That, that's hard right. for me to stop. Well, that's, that's the story that the thing, it's like he cared so much he walked away. It's like, well, no, it sucks. I, I mean, I wish I didn't have to walk away. I don't have to walk away. I don't. But I wish I didn't feel this. Right. I would love to have been able to say I'm this guy forever till the day I die. I'm the, I'm the guy for this job. I just don't know that's where I want to dedicate the time. When you, the, the, the notion of personal freedom and your ability to 
of your own volition bring every bit of what you have to give to the job that you want to do if you don't feel like at your perch at this juncture that you can give it the way it needs to be given then your responsibility is to set it down david woods um, my mentor forever great career he worked at ppai 17 years ago for one year he was an interim cfo coo and and i was frustrated you know i just didn't feel like i could make the changes i wanted to make and it was this infrastructure and a board and blah 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 and he said go home decide what it is you want to do talk to your family decide come in on monday start doing it keep doing it until somebody tells you to stop something told me to stop mm-hmm. that was it that wasn't my board it wasn't the members it wasn't somebody just you know, it's time to do something else. But I've had the ability to do whatever I thought was right for 20 years of my career. And that's nice. That is nice. And you know? I hope that you have the same opportunity to bring that skill set that you've developed now <clears throat> breaking things and not not being scared to push when maybe not everybody wanted that push to happen. Yeah, so... I think that our industry needs such fundamental shift in what we do that there will be people who would think that I'm betraying them by saying it out loud. But I think a new person coming in can say, look, I've, I've been in enough other places to see that this is where this is going to go. I, I think that though, that there are so many people who only see me as I represent this channel that looks like this. And this is what products do. And this is the language we use. And this is our, our culture. You know, sometimes you, you need an outsider to like go back to the kids analogy. My kids think my, their friends' parents are a lot smarter than me. And yeah. their kids think that I'm a lot smarter than them. I think that there's, there's a need for some significant shifts here. But maybe I can go someplace else and be the person that that delivers their significant shifts and leads them through that. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a company or an organization. Have you wrapped your brain around like what it is that you want to try to tackle when you go to the next thing? Or are you not even allowing yourself the chance to think about that yet? I, have, I, I think I have more of a, um, a facilitator bone in me, not necessarily the participant bone. Like I want, I've, make sure that everybody has what they need to do things. I have my dream retirement job. I'm a musician. You know this. Yes, sir. I want to, I, I want to put pianos in nursing homes. That's what I want to do. I want to make sure that every nursing home in the entire, every old age home, we used to call them the old folks home when we were growing up, every has a piano in it. So someone like me can go in there on my way to someplace else and play somebody a song. And, and this started years ago, my daughter and she sings like an angel and we, you know, we'd go someplace and they didn't have a piano. And then the other. And I, in my mind, I just said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put my nonprofit work, right. My ability to raise funds to work. And I'm going to start a charitable organization that, that does that, you know, people are going to donate their pianos, trucking companies are going to donate their time. However, I'm not thinking about that yet. So that tells me that there's an interim gig. And, I, and that's what, where I am. So I'm, I'm glad you brought it up in that because it made me, you actually just made me think about something for the first time. I'm not thinking about doing that yet. Tell me, I have three choices. I could stay in the industry. I can stay in association management, which directionally you would think is my next thing. Let's go find some other group. Then that third thing is, you know, I could, I could just take a little bit of time off and, and reflect. I've been trying to use these four months, five months notice that I've given to really just help the association have a seamless transition in moving forward. I don't know that I want to be a CEO anymore. That, that, that's become fairly clear to me that I don't think I want to be that thing. I want to be the guy who cuts the cigars and pours the beers, not the guy driving. The, you know what I mean? So I, I, my opportunities are in front of me. I'm so fortunate. 
I am so fortunate. You know, Chuck Fandos, a friend of mine, you know, he's the man's done well. He's had a business, sold his business. He's kind of semi-retired. He's going to kill me for saying this. And he said, uh, you know, I'm taken care of. I don't have to work. I have, I have a good life, everything. He said, but the minute you don't have a job, you feel like you have to start like making your own soap and candles, you know, like, cause you just worried about the next thing. It's like, Hey, I don't have a job, you know? And, and I, he said that to me, it was at expo. I was at dinner with them at expo this year. And he said, yeah, I feel like the soap and candle thing. I'll never forget it. And I was like, you're kidding me. He's like, now it's just this phenomenon that goes on in your head right. that you're just like, oh, am I going to have enough? And then I watched myself over the last, five months or so i used to have two cars i you know i'm sold one down the one car i had a a, a big town home i'm moving in january to something smaller and i'm just finding myself like i don't know if it's that soap and candle phenomenon <laughs> or if i just want simpler maybe that's what it is that i just want things to be simpler i want there to be less moving parts i want their I want my kids to be happy. I want to go someplace I feel good about every day. You know, I want to reestablish some relationships that I, I may not have nurtured or taken care of as long, as well as I should have. But I definitely want something simpler. Paul Bellantone, Roger Burnett. There's a laundry list of names, probably as tall as me. That If we all got together in a room and really were honest with ourselves and said... How would we make our lives better? Simplicity would probably be the number one word that we would all use when it comes to what, if anything has come out of COVID, I think. And I think your decision, while it probably wasn't necessarily um, caused by COVID, nothing like a pandemic to sort of crystallize what we all start to recognize now are the most important things. I'm going to make a recommendation to the organization and to anybody out there who um, is on a contract. And I have contracts. I had a three-year contract, five-year contract, five-year contract. I'm coming up on the end of a five-year contract. The contract actually ends in, on May 31st, March 31st. I just gave myself two more months. <laughs> March 31st. <laughs> and um, I have another contract that's already in place that starts on April 1st. They, you know, one ends, rolls into another one. I think that, um, I think that you should do a cursory re-interview for your position and a rewriting of your job description. I think, um, and, and unfortunately we don't do that. Why? Because it was easy. Mm -hmm. The contract was written pre-COVID. It's easy. Keep the train on the track. Don't screw it up. But what I did was looked at the fact that I have an agreement as an opportunity coming up. I have a new agreement. And I thought to myself, well, what is that? What is the next three years? And I think it was a three-year deal going to entail. The thing that changed for me is, would I apply for that job? When I looked at what it was going to take for the next three years, I just said, would I apply for that job? And am I, would they hire me for that job? If we truly did that, mm -hmm. they may or may not have, I may or may not have, but that's the approach. So I, I would say, um, and, and as we're going through this process with the board and we're looking for the next CEO, and I don't, I don't want to overstate, you know, the importance of doing this thing, but it'd be nice to sit down with your chair or your board and just say, hey, over this next agreement, outside of the strategic plan and the business plan, this is the skill set that I think a CEO is going to need. You know, I, I think that the significant chunk of my career has been analog to digital, mm. right? Trade shows and print to a different digital thing. But I'm, you know, I'm an analog guy and now in a digital world. Maybe the next CEO of this organization should have a background in technology, not necessarily an IT guy, but someone who ran a technology organization. So go find that next man or woman and match up the skill sets. Yeah, right. it'll be interesting. That part of it, you know, as much as your exit will be noteworthy, wh whom assumes that chair 
will be equally noteworthy because it will Massive. represent in so many ways the direction of what the board anticipates. And based on that, that person's background, we're all going to do what's natural to us. We're going to pick apart that person's resume, trying to get clues around, well, why would they have made this choice? What, uh -huh. what, what is it about that person's skill set that seems to be attractive to the board? That's going to be intriguing as all get out, I think. You're, te you're telegraphing yeah. what that needs analysis that they're doing now. The worst thing they could do, and, I, and I'm not saying this um, to flatter myself, is find me. Because I was able to have success because they didn't try to find Steve Slagle. Because had they done that, the only thing that I would have been evaluated on is how did I match up to, did they find the right Steve? Somebody's not going to want to be on a plane as much as me. Right. Somebody's going to want to manage staff differently. Somebody's going to want to speak differently and use different language. And I, th I think you flesh that out in a process. You do a needs analysis. You talk to the members. So I suspect, and I don't know this for sure because I'm not a voting member of the board, that they'll probably put an interim in place while this search happens. And this search should not just be, you know, who are we finding, but the identification of who are we, what are we looking for? Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the yeah, organization. It, it's it's almost like uh, your decision spawns two really interesting sub-decisions that will occur as a result, and we're all going to be riveted, waiting to see what those announcements will be. Yeah. So Me too. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So this is uh, the point in the program where typically I would ask Paul to give his thoughts to the people for next year. So the, the, what makes this even more poignant is this is sort of maybe your parting shot when it comes to this community of listeners and your advice for them when it comes to 2021, because you're maybe not going to be around when uh, we get into next year. So uh, you've said stuff before, like uh, stop making excuses and stop complaining about things. And then last year you said, be kind. Be kind. Well, the kind one carries. That's carry forward. Anything beyond be yeah, kind. Yeah, but notice that those weren't predictions. They were these are the things that I learned. I'm not good at predictions. My friend and colleague Norm Hollinger with Alpha Broda tells me it's better to be nimble than to hope for clairvoyance. You know, if you could be clairvoyant, be clairvoyant, because that's cool. So here are some of the things that I learned. Like there's a difference between preparing and planning. Okay. Right. That's nimble kind of thing to plan something. You actually have to um, you actually have to have some concept of what's going to happen. But to prepare means now we need to have a, a plan that has a number of eventualities mm -hmm. to it. You know, it could go either way. Like plan on the sun rising. But, you know, always have a backup for the weather, you know, unless you live in some place where the sun always shines. So that to me was big this year. Second one I would say is um, learn what to stop doing. We have been so geared up on we have to do more, we have to do better, we have to do it faster. Um, but as the, an association this year, we spent a significant amount of time talking about what should we stop doing? Like, you know, let's not waste the pandemic. Uh, we have significantly less resources than we had 10, 11, 12 months ago translates to 80,000 man hours. I remind the board and the staff of that. We have 80,000 man hours left. What are we doing? That process of deciding what you're not doing is as telling as the things that you decide to do. And yeah. we've coined it, what is the timely and what is the timeless? Mm -hmm. we, we, used, we, we adopted a lot of activities because they were timely. Like we needed to do this to help this happen at this moment. What we weren't good was at the strategic abandonment of saying we're done with that now. Mm -hmm. So I would tell, I would counsel people to really look at what are the things that are timeless to your business and timeless to your core. Remember, you, you a pandemic teaches us to change strategies, not vision. Our visions are the same. 
how we're getting there is different. Um, something I heard, uh, it's so valuable. Um, the difference between permission, um, the, the importance of earning permission and confidence. The companies that I've found being really successful this year are those that had permission-based relationships with their customers. You've earned the right to talk about PPE and getting, you, you've earned the right to ask them to give you their employees' home addresses so that you can continue to reward and recognize and motivate them. That doesn't, ha you can't start doing that in a pandemic. You have had to have earned that. But if the pandemic's a good opportunity to plant those permission seeds, if we want to go back to that cultivating thing, plant seeds of permission. There you go. That's my, um, but the backside of that is confidence. And I'm finding more and more, and this will, this will be one of the casualties of this pandemic. Maybe we don't need 4,000 suppliers. You know, maybe we need all 4,000 suppliers, but maybe your company doesn't need to do business with all 4,000 of them. Right. Who do you have confidence in on a day-to-day -day biz, day-to-day basis that's going to support that decision that somebody made because you had permission? So they go hand in hand. It's, it's um, create an environment where you're trusted and then build a support network mechanism where you can deliver on those promises. It's kind of not too far from what your business is doing there. I don't know. I, I guess the last thing would be just don't waste this. Like don't yeah. waste this opportunity to do something really different. Cause, and don't assume that like, everybody's worried about their own shit right now. Yeah. They're not paying attention to you. You're not all that important. I feel that same thing now. I can do some pretty significant things because people are worried about their own things and they're not, look, nobody cares really, you know, about everybody's got their own stuff going on. And I, I've looked at that. I've had people offer me jobs because they're going to get some mileage out of having the former president and CEO of PPAI do this for me and I tell them you got 90 days to ride that train and then nobody's going to care <laughs> the employees aren't going to care your customers aren't going to care the industry's not going to care so let's find something meaningful that I can add value to not just a temporary thing so all that said is do something meaningful that's yeah. going to last whatever that there's so no many people are just focused on the negative, though. Like, the, this pandemic, like, we will solve this thing. Like, look at the beauty of the medical science around this, that within a year we are putting out vaccines. And, like, why aren't we celebrating that? Where's the ticker tape parade? Right. Know, where are the, where are the, where's the ticker tape parade for Pfizer and these companies that are like, we're winning a war. Like, yeah, this we, is like the Manhattan be... Project of the of our century, right? I mean, right. You know, this is this is something that, but it, it's gotten politicized, and you know, is it even a virus and it's a vaccine? And it's like, yeah, there'll always be that, right? And and you know, people are like, oh, this is the worst that's ever been politically, and to... no, it's not. There was a civil war. I don't know, you know, just go back and look at your book. Like they, people actually shot each other, you know, like and formalized it, more uniforms. That's how much we were mad at each other. It was worse than this. And we're, we're just so focused on it. The news is so focused on it. So bring, be kind, bring some joy. Who knows, you know? Well, I think we should just land the plane right there. Be I think we should land that plane. Be kind, bring some joy. It's really not that far off from the last two of these, regardless of the fact that so much is different than when we've recorded either of the other two episodes. I would say I'm going to miss you, but I'm not going to say that because I'm not letting you get away like that. So yeah. I'm not going to miss you. I'm going to actually uh, look forward to the possibility of a less um, busy Paul Bellantone being a little bit more accessible and a little bit more available to uh, screw around with and talk shit to when. So are you and your wife going to pull up in your van and to my new smaller 
place yeah. where I'm living in my simpler life, making candles and soap. Absolutely. And well, bring the wine, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that day, sir. I'm grinning from ear to ear, listening back to that conversation. That man dropped so much knowledge on us in that 45 minute conversation that I don't know that I can ably recap that for all of you. I think it's going to take a couple listens to really get the totality of all of the stuff that he laid on us during that discussion, right? But what's the postmortem of 2020 really going to look like? I think that's something that all of us are considering in the run up to the end of the year. You know, I don't think there's going to be a lot that changes per se in the first part of 2021, but guaranteed none of us are ever going to forget that the year that just transpired and the things that may have occurred to each of us on a personal and professional level during that time. But, you know, the concept of what do we want to save from the past and what do we want to embrace that's changed is really a fundamental idea that all of us really should be adopting and considering as the vaccine starts to roll out and we begin what should be the post-COVID economy. And then the other piece of this that I thought was just incredibly candid on Paul's part was his willingness to talk about the way that the pandemic has affected our children. And I think that's universal for any of us that have kids. We recognize the struggles that they're going through and we can empathize with the idea that this is a difficult situation, not just for us, but for every member of our family, regardless of their age or situation. I don't know if you noticed how many references Paul worked into people from the industry that he's worked with and been counseled by. He's, you know, it's amazing to have a career of that length and to be exposed to people who are really running businesses that are successful and large and have a lot of nuance and um, requirements that are necessary for a leader to be able to be successful. So he got trained and learned from some of the best. And I'm really impressed with what he was able to share with us. But, you know, learn what to stop doing. Consider the timely versus the timeless. Change your strategies, not your vision. The importance of gaining permission and confidence right now, the importance of planning those permission sees, and when you have confidence and support from people, you can do some amazing things. And then Paul goes straight life coach at the end, and I think that was really fun to listen to. I hope that all of you got something out of that. This was my present to you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we look forward to a prosperous and healthy 2021 for everybody.